horror films. Does anybody here like horror films? All right, we, we have some people who are willing to admit they like horror films. So uh, this past summer, I was over at one of my sister's house and had a bunch of my nieces there and some of my other sisters, and they decided to watch a movie and said, you know, Dave, come on, this, this will be fun. You'll really enjoy this movie. So I sat down, I watched the whole movie. It was the worst horror movie I've ever seen in my life. Uh, the name of it, The Notebook. <laughs> it was anything but fun. I was physically and emotionally exhausted after this movie. All the sappy, syrupy love scenes. And they look at my sisters and my nieces and they're crying and snot running down their nose. They went through like three boxes of Kleenexes in one movie. It took me months to get that movie out of my mind. It's the worst horror movie ever. Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a bit, okay? But I did see a movie when I was a little boy, a horror film, that really did scare me. Does anybody remember the movie Jaws? Yeah, yeah. That movie really did scare me. Again, I was just a little kid when I saw it, and afterwards, I could not go near, let alone in, any body of water whatsoever. In fact, I remember right after that, we were planning a trip and went up to um, Allen Creek Beach, and my whole family, and they were heading off into the water from the beach, and I said, nope, uh-uh, I'm, I'm not going in. There could be sharks in that water. And my mom is trying to explain to me, it's an inland, freshwater, man-made reservoir. There are not sharks in there. I'm like, I don't care. Somebody, as a cruel joke, could have put a shark in there a couple years ago. It's huge now, and I go in, and it's going to eat me. I'm not going in. I am not going in. And they're like, well, you know, stay here on the beach. So off my entire family went. And as they're going in the water, I start getting these flashes, like all of them being eaten, and I'm left as an orphan. I could not even take a bubble bath after that movie, right? I could not do it because I couldn't see through the bubbles, and there could be like little sharks coming through the faucet, and then they come and they attack me and eat my toes. It took me months, probably the entire summer, to be able to even take a bath after that. And I think that's the reason why I developed early childhood body odor. <laughs> I think that's the reason why. Okay, so you might be thinking to yourself, what does horror films have anything to do with this beautiful feast day, the solemnity of Christ, the universal king? Well, here's how. Beyond any movies, ability to imagine horror for us. In this life or the next, this God, King, Jesus Christ, saves us from the greatest horror in our life. An eternity without him. And the way in which he saves us from the greatest horror that we would ever know is he takes upon himself our sins by joining us in our human condition. 
in our fallenness, in our brokenness, in our sins, in our suffering. And he takes our place. He experiences in this life, physically, a pain that none of us should ever experience. And the flogging and the, the lashing of his flesh and the crucifixion and the suffering and dying of asphyxiation, the hours on the cross. And then does it stop there spiritually? We're reminded in 1 Peter that he descends among the dead for three days in hell. He experiences, although it's a mystery to us because he is God, the Son of God, separation from the Father. He experiences what it's like to be separated from God. He went through this so that we would not experience eternal horror. But that's his work. And that's necessary for us to get into heaven. But there's another part, according to what we just heard in Matthew 25, our part. It isn't just his work. He tells us what it takes for us to respond to him saving us from eternal horror. Is that we have to do our part in this life to save others from the horrors of this life. So he tells us in a way that we can understand that at the end of our lives, there'll be two categories of people. There'll be those who will go to heaven because they followed his way and responded. What he did for us, they did for their brothers and sisters. So they go to heaven. But then there's another category of people who did not see the horrors that others were experiencing or saw it and did nothing to join them and to alleviate that, to save them from that. And those, he tells us, will go off to eternal horror. I mean, just think about it for a second. God is saving us for all of eternity from the eternal horror. Millions and billions and quadrillions of years where we'll never know separation. In fact, the exact opposite. Beauty and truth and goodness and life and love. Endless. Abundance of life. And all that he asks on our part is that we recognize in the least of our brothers and sisters among us that there are people who suffer earthly horrors what he saved us from for eternity, we spend maybe 20 years, 40 years, 80 years of our life, a fraction of that, doing for them what he does for us. And this is very clear in Matthew 25. That the individuals who go to hell don't go to hell because they're great sinners doesn't say that. Because they do great evil. It doesn't say that. Or it doesn't even say that it's not acknowledging that they're good people. 
but that they neglect to do the good to others that God does for us. Across our lives, by joining our human condition, becoming flesh, becoming human, coming alongside of us as we suffer and experience the horrors of this world, saving us from that, and then eternally saving us in heaven. That they land in hell simply because they neglect to do the good that God does for us. What are these goods? Well, he gives us six. And the church calls them the corporal works of mercy. It's not an exhaustive list. It's an example. And we can also look at this not just in corporal works of mercy, but what the church calls spiritual works of mercy. And these six that he gives us are their analogs for both. That we should be helping people who are suffering physically in this world and who are suffering spiritually. And those are both considered by our Lord in Matthew 25 as works of mercy, as he has had mercy upon us. You know, we have all kinds of ways here at St. Francis for us to get involved in these spiritual and these communal, these physical works of mercy. We have, like, for instance, Calm, Catholic Outreach Ministries, which we created about a year and a half ago to take what was already existing and then do a lot more opportunities in addition to that for all of us to get involved with helping the poor, clothing them, feeding them, providing for their thirst. And we also took um, all of our existing groups, like the ones that go out and visit the sick and, and, and the dying and, and the homebound and the hospitals and the nursing homes. All of those are now under our Catholic ministries. Those who minister to families at their most vulnerable time when a loved one has died, taking them through the beginning of the funeral planning process, being with them every step of the way, being here the day of the funeral, especially when they're small funerals, being in there to support with them, and then a group of people offering a luncheon afterwards. And the list goes on. Of what already is and what has been adding and what the Lord's still adding to it and that you can add to it also. We have 120 people involved in these works of mercy right now among our prisoners. But you don't have to wait for calm or jump into calm. You certainly can. You can do these on your own because you live in the world 24-7. And there's all kinds of people up and down your lives who have need of God's mercy through you. I mean, just think about it in the spiritual sense, the spiritual works of mercy. Think about all the people, for instance, who are hungry and thirsty in our world and are trying to satiate themselves off of what the world offers them. That they travel in this world and through their lives constantly hungry because they're feeding off the junk food of this world rather than the bread of life. And these people have gotten away for whatever reasons they have or whatever hurts or, or harms have happened to them or, or whatever sins they've committed. They've gotten away from the Lord. And we, these are family members. These are friends. These are fellow parishioners. And we think to ourselves about them and about children who are walking in this way. Well, they're good people. 
they're happy. So we leave them alone. And we leave them alone recognizing what Jesus is saying. These people who went to hell didn't go to hell because they weren't good people. We have so gotten away as Christians sitting in pews from the original understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What it means to be a Christian today. It is so much more about being a good person and not hurting anybody. It's about being little Christ and doing for others what he does for us and will do for us, saving them from the horrors of the lies of this world, bringing them, and not just bringing them truth, but coming alongside them. I think about the second category, those who are naked and those who um, are strangers. There are so many people today, for instance, who for, again, whatever reasons, have, a, have alienated, alienated themselves from God. But he's never alienated himself from us. In fact, he's come and joined us. And that's all that he asks us to do, is don't forget them. Don't judge them. Join them. Walk alongside of them. Become a part of their lives, wherever it is that they're walking. And then over months, or if it takes years, that's fine. You have your lifetime. Walk them with them across the years of your life. They're worth it. He shows us that you're worth it. And then at some point, whatever hurts, whatever wounds, whatever brokenness caused him to break from him anyways, or called him to break from a worshiping community, or it caused him to think that what's out there is better than this, whatever it is, they will then come to learn to trust you because they see over time that you love them. You don't judge them, that you're interested in their lives and you want to walk with them. And then at some point, a moment of grace, they will open up. And often in the midst of a whore. And there you will be, and there Christ will be for them through you. As God was here for us through him. And the last one. The people who are ill and imprisoned. How many people in our world are imprisoned by their sins and are ill because they've been not partaking of the bread of life, but the crap that's being offered to them out there. Be with them. Love them. Walk with them. And eventually, something will happen in that relationship with you and them and you'll be able to bring them back to the bread of life. All the horror films that are made, you know, that you can watch on Netflix, none of them come close in reality or imagination to the greatest horror that none of us ever want to experience, an unending horror. But according to Matthew 25, according to our Lord, the people who experience that are simply the ones who neglected to do the good to others that God is doing to you. That's it. That's all he asks. To spend whatever it is of your life compared to what he gives you in the life eternal.
giving to others what he gives to you. Let us profess what we believe. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. For him all things are made, 